Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 141. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And now is still a time to stay vigilant, especially when it comes to national security. On the buildup of the forces uh, around on, on the border of Ukraine, we've watched this very closely, and I'm in regular and frequent contact with General Walters, the, the UCOM commander. The truth is, Bob, we're not sure exactly what Mr. Putin is up to. But these movements certainly have our attention, and, you know, I, I would urge Russia to be more transparent about what they're up to and to take steps to live up to the Minsk agreements. Uh, our support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity remains unwavering. That's our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, with a warning for Russia. Ukraine has estimated that Russia has amassed 100,000 troops near their border, along with tanks, armored personnel vehicles, and artillery. NATO has issued a warning. America has issued a warning. And Russia? Russia's denying that they plan to invade Ukraine. This is happening. And you were probably focused instead on Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers lying about being vaccinated. Or maybe, understandably, you were focused on getting your kid a COVID shot or getting yourself a booster. Or maybe you were focused on the censure of Arizona Republican Congressman Paul Gosser for posting a photoshopped anime video on social media showing him appearing to kill Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking President Biden. Or maybe you were focused on former advisor to President Mayhem, Steve Bannon, who was charged this week with two counts of criminal contempt for refusing a congressional subpoena to testify before the House about the insurrection on January 6th. Or maybe, also understandably, you were focused on the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old jackass who took an AR-15 to a protest in 2020 and shot three people, killing two of them. Or maybe, understandably, you are focused on the historic, new, overdue $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill that President Biden signed into law. Yes, we finally have an infrastructure bill, and that's worthy of your focus. It's all worthy of your focus. All those things are worthy of your focus. But while you and most of America are focused on all of that, the Secretary of Defense and many others tasked with protecting America have their eyes on Russia. They always have their eyes on Russia and on North Korea and on Pakistan and on China and on five other countries across the globe. Because of one simple reason. They have nukes. Nine countries in the world possess nuclear weapons capable of destroying the entire world. And one of them 
is Russia. And maybe you forgot about that completely until you hit play on this podcast. But our Secretary of Defense never forgets it. And I hope our president never forgets it. Because it's the number one threat to the entire world as we know it. Yeah, pandemics can be globe killers. And climate change is stripping and burning the world bit by bit. But only nukes could destroy the entire world as we know it in a matter of hours. And that is worth your focus and your attention and your vigilance. And in a time immediately after a rare display of bipartisanship in the passage of the historic infrastructure bill, that's an issue that epitomizes independent Americans. I would suggest that nukes are also an incredibly nonpartisan issue, an issue that could, that should unite all Americans. Because no party is in favor of ending the world especially after all we've been through in the last two years. We didn't get through all this shit just to have a trigger-happy, insane president or a diabolical enemy or the fall of a nation-state go ahead and blow up the entire world we just spent two years wearing masks and staying inside to save. The pandemic has required tremendous vigilance, and so does the threat of nuclear weapons. Because as I always remind you on this show, Vigilance is the price of democracy. But it's even bigger than that. Vigilance is the price of world peace. And vigilance is the price of world preservation. And we dig into it this week in the newest episode of the groundbreaking television miniseries on Vice TV, While the Rest of Us Die. You've heard about it on this show. I'm a consulting producer and I'm a contributor. And Righteous Media and I are bringing you this powerful, urgent season number two of that series every Thursday this month at 10 p.m. It's produced by Ephraim Films, showrunner Anthony LaPay, and narrated by our friend and a past guest on this show, the great Jeffrey Wright. And we're tearing into the scariest, most deadly, most urgent issues facing us all. And in the newest episode, we're talking about nukes. On the next, while the rest of us die. I've literally had arguments with people from my generation who say, you know, the number one threat facing humanity is the climate crisis. Listen, the problem that exists today is nuclear weapons. It was mass destruction of our world. It would take about an hour to destroy everything humanity has built up over the millennia. While the rest of us die. Yep. Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, it's not fun, but it's damn important. And in this episode, we're digging into it with one of the voices you just heard, one of the brightest minds in the world on this issue, Joe Serencioni. The threat of nukes isn't just a 1980s thing. The threat of nukes is a 2021 thing. And it's a now thing. And it's a global thing. And it's a cyber thing. And it's even a space thing. And Joe's going to break it down and give us all a crash course. Just in time to spice up your pre-holiday time. 
Joe Saracione is the bomb when it comes to the bomb. Yeah, I said that, but he really is. Joe's worked on nuclear weapons policy in Washington for more than 35 years, and he's one of the top minds in the field. He was director for nonproliferation at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He's the author of Deadly Arsenals, Nuclear, Biological, and Chemical Threats, and he co-authored Universal Compliance, a strategy for nuclear security. He was the president of the Plowshares Fund, a global security foundation, and he now teaches at Georgetown University's Graduate School of Foreign Service. Joe's one of America's best-known weapons experts. He's in print all the time and on Fox, MSNBC, CNN, PBS, NPR, and occasionally Comedy Central. But this is no laughing matter. Joe worked for nine years in the House of Representatives on the professional staff of the Committee on Armed Services and the Committee on Government Operations. He was also the co-author of WMD in Iraq, Evidence and Implication, and the producer of the award-winning DVD called The Proliferation Threat. He was the publisher and editor of ProliferationNews.org, which he created way back in December of 2003. He also organized and chaired the annual Carnegie International Nonproliferation Conference, the premier event in the field, and a hell of a good time. Joe's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the International Institute for Strategic Studies. He was an honor graduate at Boston College and has a Master's of Science with the highest honors from Georgetown School of Foreign Service. He also likes wine and tequila and has strong opinions on pancakes and waffles, but you'll have to be a Patreon member to hear about that last part. But Joe makes really scary stuff easier to understand. He breaks it down, but he doesn't sugarcoat it. And he's here to give us a rapid-fire masterclass on the threat to the world as we know it. A threat that never goes away. A threat that rears its head often, and especially when America is preoccupied with a million other things. That's what Putin's banking on. That's what Kim Jong-un is hoping for. And it's what should terrify you about a possible return of Donald Trump as president or Joe Biden re-elected at age 86, because the president of the United States gets the power. He or she gets the nuclear suitcase. And that person gets to decide the fate of the world. And as De La Soul laid it down for all times, stakes is high. And when it comes to nukes, it doesn't get any higher. Stakes is high. And Independent Americans is keeping our finger on the button to bring you important, inspiring, and iconic Americans. Leaders who are shaping what America's been, what it is now, and what it will be in the future. And how that future will be annihilated if we don't stay vigilant. So we're bringing you the Righteous Media Five Eyes, an ICBM barrage of values, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. This is another laser-guided episode to keep us all focused, to keep us all vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And 
the price of global peace and the price of global survival. Stakes don't get any higher. Welcome to a conversation about the highest stakes possible. Welcome to an episode about nukes. Just in time for the holidays, it's time to let the knowledge bombs drop. They're incoming. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 140, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. Thanksgiving's coming up, and there is a lot to be thankful for. Uh, and there is a lot on the new, out of the news um, that, that we should still be tracking on, because maybe one of the major things we should be thankful for is that there's not a nuclear war happening. Uh, and, and it is a threat that remains. It is a threat that is front and center. It is a threat that we are diving into in the new series uh, we're doing with Sean uh, Ephraim and Anthony LaPay and, and Jeffrey Wright at, at Vice TV called While the Rest of Us Die. And I really wanted to bring uh, to our audience and to our community, really, I think the best, most dynamic voice on the issue. So before we get to Thanksgiving and, and, and reflect and are grateful, we're going to have a serious conversation about maybe the most serious issue of all with a man who knows it inside and out, a man I met many years ago, the great and powerful Joe Saracione joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I did say your name correctly that time. Did yeah, Sorincione, you nailed it. It's a tough one. It's a tough one, but it's it's uh, it's it's tougher than Rykoff, which, which <laughs> sounds easy but reads tough. Well, even for Italian Americans, it's a long, complicated name. Well, my my grandmother was Italian. Her name was Galella, and there my mother's go. mother is Italian, so they will give me maybe some points at Thanksgiving <laughs> for getting the name right. Well, um, in Italiano, it's uh, Giuseppe Cerincione, but who could say that? <laughs> Giuseppe Cerincione. I try. I'll try. <laughs> I wish, uh, you know, Italy is one of the places I miss most since the <laughs> pandemic hit. We haven't been back. Family uh, yeah. usually goes off. And so maybe in the future, you know, we can have a drink in, in Italy and, and celebrate uh, yes. a more peaceful world. A nice um, Negroni cocktail. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I want to get into a lot. I think that, that this news vice series kind of reminded me and will remind everybody how important the issues that you live every day are for our country and for the world. So I want to talk, you know, re really um, break down, you know, what I think is the most urgent threat to the world um, and and how it's a constant threat. It's not just one from the Reagan era or from election campaigns. It's something that's all around us. And I think the new series breaks that down. You've been a great thought leader for as, as long as I've known you, but I want to start by asking you the same question I ask everybody. It's been a wild year and a half in the world and in America. Joe, where are you and how are you? <laughs> I'm in Tacoma Park, Maryland, which is right outside Washington, D.C. I've been here for 40 years. I came to D.C. as a graduate student at Georgetown. And I never left. I, you know, I didn't intend to stay, but one thing left to another, and I've been in government or in think tanks or 
for the last 12 years as a philanthropist, the head of Plowshares Fund until I stepped down last year. So I've had a great uh, career. And most of that time has been spent on nuclear policy, uh, nuclear weapons policy. Uh, and despite that, I'm doing fine. Despite that, I still have an optimistic, uh, you know, uh, attitude and uh, a, a nice little pep in my step. Uh, you, you always bring great energy. And I think that's important in, in not scaring the shit out of people every time that they have to talk to you and, and dive into these issues. Right. And, and I yes. think that's part of your your skill is, is you've been able to really help communicate this to people who are not technicians, who are not experts, who are average Americans who care about their country and their families and, and the future. So, you know, the pandemic has kind of occupied so much oxygen. And, and now we've got an infrastructure bill going through. And I want to ask you maybe if you can touch on whether there's anything in there that, that, ha, that, can, that can address or protect the interests and issues that you care about. But can you start at the top? You know, sure. I, I think it's the biggest threat facing the world. And it was the, the threat I used to always remind people about when Trump did crazy shit. Yeah. I said, look, you know, remember, he has access to nukes. You know, you think it can't yeah. get worse. It can get much worse. And I think that only at the end, you know, in the final days of the, of the Trump era, uh, did folks really realize how, how, how possible or, or immediate that threat could be. So maybe yeah. can, you, can you frame it up for us? Sure. The threat of, of, of uh, do we still call it nuclear holocaust? Yes. Um, the, the, frame it up for us and, and break it down. What is the threat? What is the scope? What is the urgency in, in your view, please? Well, it's, it's understandable that people wouldn't focus on this, wouldn't be thinking about this. I mean, the Cold War has been over for 30 years and most people thought, well, that's it. We're getting rid of our nuclear weapons. The problem has gone away. Well, the Cold War is over, but the weapons remain. The U.S. and Russia have about 6,000 nuclear weapons each. That's over 90% of the global total. So when you're talking about nuclear weapons, you're really talking about the United States and, and Russia. And uh, many of these weapons remain on hair trigger alert, ready to launch at a moment's notice. And in the United States, they're under the control of one person, the president. The president can launch nuclear weapons whenever he wants, and it's always been a he so far, whenever he wants, for whatever reason he wants. He doesn't need the approval of the vice president or the secretary of defense, certainly not Congress. There's no time for a Supreme Court brief on this. So when you had four years of a madman in control of the United States, that madman had his finger on the nuclear button and he could launch weapons within about seven minutes of a decision to do so. That's how this system goes. And that's one of the reasons why nuclear weapons remain one of the three great existential threats we face. But all the challenges we have in our lives, there are only three that threaten destruction on a planetary scale. Climate change can destroy human civilization over the decades. Pandemics, as we're now seeing, can wreak havoc over years. Nuclear weapons can destroy everything humanity has produced over the millennia in an afternoon. It's real. They're still here. And we've got to do something about it. I think that's a that's a that's a great framework. So I want to go around the, the scope, but we know that the U.S. and Russia have ninety percent of of the nukes in the world. Can you tell us who has the rest? Sure. And who who are other players on this and on this on this landscape in twenty twenty one? There's a total of seven countries with nuclear weapons, which, by the way, is a great victory for nuclear arms control and disarmament. There used to be 25 countries that had programs and were interested, but 
because of government policy, because of liberals and conservatives, Republicans, and Democrats working together, we created an international system of controls that have shrunk the arsenals and that have shrunk the number of countries trying to get these weapons. So what we're left with is the US and Russia still with Cold War arsenals on Cold War use doctrines. After that, you get France, interestingly enough, which has about 350 weapons. China, about the same number as France, but building up. The United Kingdom, which comes in just under 200 weapons. India and Pakistan, very dangerous situation. Countries that have fought four wars since they got independence, now with nuclear arms, about 150 each. And then you have North Korea and Israel. Israel never acknowledged its nuclear weapons. They have about 80. North Korea has enough material for around 40 to 60 and is building up. And that's it. Only seven countries. The only other country you're truly worried about is Iran, which does not have nuclear weapons, but is slowly but steadily building the capability to make them. And so that's your major proliferation threat in the world today. That's a great overview. Um, and, and I'm, I'm you know, Israel is always the question mark, right? Like they don't publicly admit it, but everyone knows they have it. Is that kind of how, how it works right now? <laughs> Absolutely. They they used uh, material we gave them in the 60s under the Atoms for Peace program for the peaceful uses of nuclear energy. And they broke their agreements and secretly constructed uh, nuclear weapons. And they had their first bomb around 1968, right at the end of the 1968 Mm -hmm. war. And they've had them ever since. They have a triad, actually. They can drop them by plane. They can drop them by um, missile. And they also have nuclear armed uh, submarines that fire nuclear tipped cruise missiles. So they are the only nuclear power in the Middle East. I was, I was going to ask you about delivery and you, you, you named three methods. Uh, are there other methods? And I'm, I'm thinking a dirty bomb or a smuggled detonation of some kind. Is that a real threat? And, you know, I want to get to space. Sure. Is this the time? You know, how do you, what are the current 2021 methods to deliver that kind of an attack? Sure. A dirty bomb is what they call a radiological device. That is the conventional explosive, say dynamite, that's laced with radioactive material, say cesium or americium. And it spreads nuclear dust, basically, over dozens of square blocks. So it's a killer, but it's a slow killer. It causes cancer. It's not a nuclear explosion. Any terrorist can create this. In fact, most experts are surprised we haven't seen this yet. But that's different from a nuclear explosive device, much more complicated, much more difficult to make. And we're fortunate that Al-Qaeda or ISIS hasn't constructed this. It takes a large, wealthy, sophisticated terrorist organization to do this. And we're worried about a nuclear 9-11 for the last uh, 10, 20 years hasn't happened. And again, because countries did something about it, securing the materials, preventing the terrorists from getting it. Most of the nuclear threats we're worried about, though, are in conventional or in the military. And you can deliver them traditionally by missile, by bomber, by sub. But there's also cruise missiles. So you can put cruise missiles on bomber. And now you have kind of a combination platform. And we used to have The United States and Russia did many, many what we call tactical nuclear weapons, battlefield use. And in the 50s and 60s, we saw nuclear and conventional as integrated, that we thought that nuclear would be used 
in a conflict between the Warsaw Pact and NATO, for example. So we had nuclear artillery brigades. Colin Powell used to be in charge of one in West Germany. He writes in his memoirs, but as soon as he t- was told what he was supposed to do, he thought that was completely nuts. <laughs> and he was right. Nuclear artillery, nuclear landmines, nuclear depth charges, short range rockets, long range rockets. We nuked everything in the 50s and 60s. And we've come back from all that. There were very few of that type of short range delivery system left, except for India and Pakistan, which do imagine fighting a close in war. And so they do have artillery units uh, with with nuclear devices. They have short range rockets. And we think they have what they call man portable or or, or, uh, nuclear landmines that they're developing. I I think. um the, the you know the kind of uptown and downtown versions of nukes are really important to for folks to understand the framework of all this you know we we've we've i think those of us who live in and and occupy the national security space whenever you see you know a a, a an authoritarian like trump or you see uh, someone unstable like kim jong un or you see disruption in pakistan and and the constant tension between India and Pakistan, you know, there's always a question. It seems to be, you know, primarily around India and Pakistan, of how secure are they? Can can you lay that out for us? I mean, you've given us the framework of sure. Trump having access and others. Ninety percent are are U.S. and Russia, but how secure are the nukes in a place like Pakistan um, right now? Well, they're actually quite secure for two reasons. One, these are the crown jewels of the Pakistan military and the Indian nuclear scientific establishment. So they are tightly guarded. And they, they are also relatively few in number and they store them in a very good way. They store them un- unassembled. So unlike the United States and Russia, for example, where our nuclear warheads are already on the missiles, already ready to go, you just gotta program them, push a button and they launch. In, in India and Pakistan, these would have to be assembled in order to be used. So that's a good thing. The problem is not with the security of the weapons, it's with the security of the government. So Pakistan has an unstable government, a deteriorating economy, strong fundamentalist forces in the military, in the intelligence establishment, the Taliban, Al Qaeda and ISIS operating within the national territory of Pakistan. And, of course, this simmering conflict with its nuclear armed neighbor. So a whole lot of things can go wrong. Let me give you the nightmare scenario. The nightmare scenario is we see a repeat of the 2008 Mumbai attack when Pakistan-based terrorists killed 150, 160 people at a Mumbai hotels in order to provoke a war. That's what they wanted to do. Right. And one of the reasons they may have wanted to do that is to flush out the nuclear weapons. Because in a conflict, you got to then assemble the weapons and move them to the battlefield. And that's when they become vulnerable. So the nightmare scenario is you see a replay of Mumbai, Pakistan mobilizes and en route to the battlefield, the the train, the truck convoy is hijacked. The nuclear weapons are stolen. And now you have a terrorist group with nuclear weapons. And there's almost nothing you can do about it at that point. Very difficult to stop somebody like that from detonating a bomb at the place of their choosing. Just read any Tom Clancy novel. Mm. Joe, it's a good thing you're such a nice guy and you're so charismatic because otherwise you'd probably be the last person people want to sit next to at that. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm a scintillating dinner companion. <laughs> you are. You absolutely are. But if folks, you know, we we always say stay vigilant. And, and this is an issue that requires vigilance. Even well, okay, well, uncomfortable. let me just give you the worst part. About please, this. Please. So in that India, Pakistan scenario, you know, you could quickly go from conventional conflict to um, to, to nuclear. Pakistan is outgunned by the Indian army and they've said just like we said about the Warsaw Pact, if India invades Pakistan, they will use nukes to stop them. India said, if you do that, we're going to nuke you back. And as some have said, Indian generals will have a final solution to the Pakistan problem. So this is pretty grim, cold-blooded talk. And the you would not only have a nuclear war in South Asia, but even though we wouldn't feel it here in North America or Europe or South America, the fires that these weapons would set off, scientists now calculate, would put enough smoke and particulate into the atmosphere that it would shroud the earth in a cloud for two to three years, dropping global temperatures about two or three degrees. And before you think, ah, a solution to global warming, that would kill about 40% of the food crops in the world, triggering a famine that we estimate would kill between 1 billion and 2 billion people. And that is a civilization ending event. So even a war that we don't feel in a, a half the world away could bring about the end of, of, uh, of human civilization. That is a constant and big worry and we're not doing anything about it. I'm, I'm glad you took us through that. And I think the, the Vice series does a pretty good job of, of framing up, you know, different components yeah. of this. Um, and one that, that, that I was, I was glad, you know, I'm a, consulting producer on the show. We've been talking about these issues. I'm glad we had time and space to dig into is the scope of testing that the U.S. has done on U.S. soil, right? We tell the story by starting in the Bikini Islands, and then we go to Nevada outside of, of Vegas. And and was the number a couple of hundred? Give us a sense of how many detonations or explosions, however you frame it, have been done on U.S. soil, you know, in the last, you know, 100 years or however long it's been. We stopped testing we started testing in 1945 and we stopped in 1992 and we conducted over a thousand tests, more than every other nation combined, most of those on uh, continental United States soil. That is a lot of tests. That's a lot of radioactivity. Uh, we stopped testing in the atmosphere in, in the mid 60s. Uh, John F. Kennedy negotiated what they call the Limited Test Ban Treaty, a major accomplishment. Um, but before then, we were popping them off you know, a, a couple, a hundred, a couple of hundred a year were going off in those in those years, to and that has spewed radiation all through America and around the world, resulting in rising cancer rates. The way this works is the radiation doesn't not like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it doesn't kill you right away. It increases your risk of cancer, which shows up ten years later, twenty years later, and we cared so little about this that we never tracked it. So there are no accurate numbers, which is why I'm so glad the Vice TV show focused on these nuclear victims. As uh, uh, as I say in the show, Jeffrey Wright says in the show, uh, we, we the only people nuclear weapons have killed since we used them in Hiroshima and Nagasaki were Americans. And we right. think that's about 100 to maybe 200,000 people, miners, um, uh, people near the test site, people downwind from the test site, Marshallese, Islanders, all victims of nuclear weapons. And 
Is it a few hundred thousand soldiers? We, we show this in, in While the Rest of Us Die as well. These images of soldiers that volunteered or recruited and they would experience the blast. They stand up and they walk toward the blast. And now we know it was part of my work at IAVA. They were called the atomic veterans, right? Yeah. Tens of thousands, yeah. maybe hundreds of thousands that were exposed and, and didn't receive recognition from the government. You know, it's the same old story we've seen with Agent Orange and burn pits and so many others where these veterans are sick and dying and their families and they have to advocate for themselves, many of whom are, are already dead. But can, can you give us a little bit of insight into that component as well? No, I'm including them in, in my totals. We don't have a separate breakout for them for the same reason. If it's not a combat casualty, it's just not tracked. There's no, there was no compensation for that. Veterans have been fighting for decades to get this compensation. When they do get it, it tends to be just a fraction of what their cancer therapies cost. Yeah, what was I think it was like fifty thousand or a hundred about fifty thousand dollars per settlement. Yeah, right. Yeah, so so they get fifty thousand dollars to try to you know deal with with fatal cancer, basically. Yeah, leukemia, and, and they had to fight and scrape to to get it, and and there's no good data. So and, and the fight continues. I mean, even this year, there's bills in the, the Congress to try to compensate the Marshallese Islanders. These were a, a beautiful people, and the Vice TV show does a great job of showing them who would promise that they would be lifted off their islands for a little while and then brought back. Instead, we vaporized their islands. We poisoned their fishing grounds. They lost their livelihoods. They lost their homes. Never been compensated. And uh, Native American indigenous people who were displaced, whose lands were annihilated, whose people were made sick. That's a really important part of the through line. And I think maybe one of the most powerful parts of, of this episode of While the Rest of Us Die is, you know, Anthony and the team go to Nevada and talk to people who lived through it. Right. The, yes. the woman describes being a child sitting on her couch and seeing her, her living room light up to the point where she couldn't see. Right. They describe soldiers looking at their hand, you know, with their eyes closed, being able to see the skeleton in their hand. I mean, really yeah. vivid imagery yes, about how, yes. how terrible we treated our own, right? Right. And those are the, what they call the downwinders, the people who are downwind from the, the, the blast. But there's also the Navajo miners who mine the uranium. Again, uh, you, you get cancer from, from doing that. Again, never compensated. Mm. So, Joe, I want to bring it back to now. Um, you know, Joe Biden is is in his first year here. Nobody talks about nukes. It didn't come up really in the debates. I mean, I, I, I feel uh, in kinship with you and, 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 you know, I'm watching for the word veteran every time and you're probably yeah. watching in debates for the word nukes. Right. But I, <laughs> I you know, and, and um, you know, Joe Biden's a guy who's been around a long time, who was probably there for the is it the Cohen Nunn dialogues they used to have for a long time? Or, That's right. right. The, the, about nuke proliferation. And I remember going to some of those events with Les Gelb, who was a member, a, a mentor of mine that I think I, I know, you know, you knew from your time yes. at the CFR. But um, where is Biden on this? You know, like frame it up for us. I know, oh, you know they, they, a lot of your work has been left of center, but I think this is an independent American issue, right? Yeah, this yeah. Be this, this should be one of those issues like infrastructure, like the pandemic, I hope, like national security that should be a, a bipartisan, truly independent issue. Well, but give us a sense, if you would, please, of where Biden is on this. You know, I, if, if you ask most Americans, how many nuclear weapons do we need? You know, you'd get an answer somewhere between zero and a few hundred. And we have 6,000, 5,850. So 
Why? Well, it's just a question presidents often ask when they come into office and they're first briefed and they're first showed how to use the nuclear football. They go, well, why do we have so many? And the answer to that question quickly moves away from the effects of these weapons to abstract theories of deterrence and controlling the escalatory ladder and targeting and all this. And, 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 and it's basically it's a lot of gobbledygook. And Joe Biden's a, a president who's been through all this. Remember, he was elected in 72. I knew him when he was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He gets this. So he sat in on hearings on arms control treaties, et cetera, et cetera. If Biden was allowed to be Biden, he would favor sharp reductions in the U.S. arsenal, unilateral. We could go down a Joint Chiefs of Staff study in, in 2013, said we could cut the arsenal by one third and still fulfill all military missions because their weapons have gotten so much more accurate. And and he would reduce the types of nuclear weapons we have. While Trump was in, he started turning back to nuclear war fighting. So emphasis on lower yields, shorter ranges, things we could use against China, for example. Uh, He would, I think, cut those. And he would also start a more ambitious uh, strategic dialogue, both with Russia the current threat and and China, the rising threat. And he would push forward on his arrangements, his negotiations with Iran to stop that country from getting nuclear capabilities. I think he would do all this and he would change U.S. policy so we don't have our weapons on hair trigger alert so that we would never be, be the first to use nuclear weapons. The trouble is, and this is where the show gets so good at this is that you run right into established bureaucracies and corporate interest. The biggest problem we have with getting a rational nuclear policy is that some people get very rich making nuclear weapons. And this is just a product to them, like tobacco or sugar or cereal, and they market it and they sell it as necessary and essential and worth whatever it costs. So as a result, these contractors have infiltrated, and this is really true, infiltrated the Pentagon. There's a constant revolving door between top policy officials and contractor jobs. They've, influ- they've infiltrated the Congress, massive campaign contributions to the, the committee members who control their, their, their budgets, uh, big ads in all the Washington papers. You, if you get the Washington Post, you can't hardly open the paper without a defense contractor ads. And then they realized that they had to eliminate the the disagreements that they were getting from the think tanks, from the independent experts. So like the fossil fuel companies, they started giving grants to institutes to produce pro-nuclear studies or to mute the criticism of, of institutes. For example, the one where I worked, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace or Brookings or basically any big institute in Washington. So as a result, that's one of the reasons there's so little debate on this. And it's one of the reasons Joe Biden's going to have such a tough time trying to implement his policy. He's going to have to buck the Pentagon bureaucracy on this just the way he had to buck it in order to get the troops Mm. finally out of Afghanistan. It's going to be a tough, tough fight. And frankly, I'm not very optimistic about him winning it. I I knew there was a but. You know, and, and, and that was that that's the most important component here. I mean, the, the military industrial complex extends into this realm. I've, I've argued there's a veterans industrial complex now with the VA budget over three hundred billion dollars, you know, and climbing on an average of 10 percent annually. Now there's there, there are pigs at the trough there, too. Um, when, right. So when you have a debate about, you know, profit versus veteran health, yeah. who wins? Right, right. What we've got a, a trillion dollar infrastructure budget going through. 
Um, is there anything in this? We think about protecting roads and fixing infrastructure. Is there any kind of safety mechanism or any kind of component of this that's connected to the world of nukes? Because we, and again, in the Wilder Rest of Us Die, we talk about when a plane has a malfunction and two uh, nukes fall from the sky in North Carolina, right? And they don't detonate, but we talk about this more immediate transportation threat. Is there any budgetary allocation that's related to this? Or is there any connection to this in any way, Joe? Not in the infrastructure bill. There is money for defense, but it's more related to sort of port improvements. It's it's kind of just, you know, defense pork that was stuffed into the bill. But remember, we have an almost trillion dollar bill that's also moving through Congress. This is the military spending bill, the National Defense Authorization Act. It's going to be debated in the Senate this week as this program airs. And that's seven hundred and seventy eight billion dollars. And in there, there's about 50 billion dollars for nukes plus $20 billion for missile defense programs. So an average, so about $70 billion devoted to this. And some of that is absolutely necessary. It's not all waste. As long as we have nuclear weapons, you want them to be safe, secure, and reliable. But that doesn't mean you have to build a brand new fleet of bombers, a brand new fleet of submarines, a brand new fleet of ICBMs, new types of, of weapons, etc. If you concentrated that on just keeping are making improvements to make sure they're safe and that they go off when you want them to go off and they don't go off when you don't want them to go off, we'd be a, a lot better off. Yeah, I mean, the, the show digs into, you know, technology malfunctions and other things <clears throat> that, that have triggered scares. And, you know, I, I personally don't want, you know, our, our nukes running on, you know, Windows 98 or whatever could be in place in, in, internally. And to put it in that perspective is powerful, Joe, because they've got $70 billion this time for nukes and they, you know, they're only giving $50,000 to atomic vets. And even, you know, the real time conversations around burn pit exposures and toxin exposures in the Middle East, there, there's a concern that they don't have the money to pay for it. It could get too much. And I think it's, it's a real revelation about where our priorities are misaligned. And that's part of what this series, I think, has done in, in every episode. Uh, that's exactly right. So when, you know, when you talk about health benefits for veterans or health benefits in general or, or pre-K programs, yeah. all of a sudden politicians start talking about, can we afford it? What's the inflationary impact here? They never raise those concerns on military programs. They never worry about how we're going to pay for it. It's just a given that we have to spend this money. Um, we now have the largest military budget we've had in American history right now. Remember, we just ended the Afghan war. The Cold War ended 30 years ago. We're still spending more than we spent during the Vietnam War, during the Korean War, during the Reagan buildup. It's an astronomical figure, completely unjustified by our strategic needs. Joe, in this show, we always want to talk about what's next. You know, strategy is often about what's next and what else. Um, I've brought attention to the Arctic. Uh, space mm. is now in play. We've got a space force, you know, the the uh, the space station had to evacuate this week because yes. there was there, there was there was uh, shrapnel basically flying around space and could have. It, what's next? What is the next the, the next front in this in this world of nukes? And is is space in play? I don't yes. know if this is sci fi or this is reality. You're the expert. Is mm -hmm. that a part of this in, in in the future? I assume because of the critical nature of the communications devices and satellites, it's all an intertwined system. But what what do you see right. and, and what's next? This is part of what makes nuclear weapons such an urgent threat. You can't just ignore this. You can't think that everything's okay. Everything is not okay. 
And to compound the problems we already have that we just described, you, you basically have three new growing interrelated dangers. One, cyber. You know, cyber warfare is real. There are evil people out there wanting to do us harm, and they have these new tools to do it. And by the way, we have a cyber command trying to do the same thing to them. In fact, we invented the, the cyber warfare with our Stuxnet attack, that virus that infected the Iranian centrifuges, took over the machines and wrecked them. So, But other, other countries saw that and said, oh, we can do that too, and here we are. And so we're in a real cyber warfare, and where that intersects with nukes is nukes are not independent. It's, they're not impenetrable. You know, we know that the Russians have, for example, hacked into U.S. nuclear reactors. They didn't do anything yet. They just went there and let us know that they could go there. Well, you could do the same with nuclear weapons. One of my uh, colleagues at the Nuclear Threat Initiative produced a wonderful report on this, warning that you could have a hacker, not even a state, but an independent hacker, spoof the U.S. early warning system, make us think we're being attacked when we're not. You could penetrate the weapons to make them so they won't go off when we push the button. You could penetrate the weapons here or in other countries so that they would go off even when nobody pushed a button. Okay, scary threat number one. Scary threat number two is space. The Air Force, you know, has a slogan, space is the place. And there's always been those who wanted to fight warfare in space, the, the high frontier, the next frontier. And you hear that talk again. For years, this has been pushed aside. Space was a place for scientific exploration, commercial activity. You have to keep it safe. Look at what's just happened this week. The Russians did an anti-satellite test, so shot a rocket off that blew up one of their satellites and turned it. And did they vaporize it? No, it didn't disappear. It turned into 5,000 pieces of debris that are threatening the International Space Station. And by the way, the Chinese Space Station. And it's going to be there for a decade or more. Mm -hmm. So- this is a sign that people want to bring weapons into space, and that includes nuclear weapons. The Chinese just did a test that made headlines, and people talked about it as a hypervelocity missile, which is true. It traveled more than five times the speed of sound. That's the definition of hypervelocity, Mach, Mach 5. But all our missiles travel faster than the speed of sound, and ICBM goes 20 times the speed of sound. What made that distinct was they had a glide vehicle, something that wouldn't just go up and down like a, a ballistic missile, like a baseball hit into the outfield. No, it went up into orbit, circled around the globe, and then came down in a glide vehicle like the shuttle, think miniature space shuttle, and it could maneuver. The reason they're doing that is to make it immune to missile defenses. You can't hit that because you can't plot a trajectory. You don't know where it's going, so you can't intercept it. And they're doing that because they're reacting to US missile defense systems, which we claim are gonna be able to stop a Chinese nuclear attack or a North Korean nuclear attack. So you can see the race is escalating. We do something we think is gonna protect us. They do something that's gonna counter that defense. We're gonna have to respond. So we now have a nuclear arms race in full, once again, with not just the US and Russia, but now involving China, other countries, and it's taking place in new domains like space. Um, the, the final thing I think uh, you really have to worry about is, the, uh, is China, not just because of that test, but they're also beefing up their land-based missile force. They've gone, they're going from about 90 long-range missiles to several hundred long-range missiles. Again, we think of that as an aggressive threat. 
But whenever a country does something like this, they see it as defensive. And that's why the Chinese are doing it. They think the United States wants to launch a first strike against them, knock out their relatively small arsenal of 90 missiles, and then use missile defense to mop up any that remain. So their counter is to multiply the number of missiles, make it harder for the U.S. to attack, and make sure that they can use penetration aids, maneuverability, spoofing, jamming, cyber, to get through any defensive system the U.S. uh, construct. We've seen this movie before. It was called The Cold War. It's happening again. And the only way to stop it is not numerical competition, technological competition. You are not going to out-tech the Chinese. You are not going to spend them into oblivion, like some people think we did to the Soviets. This is a country that already has 60% of the U.S. gross domestic product and will pass us by the end of this decade. This is a fierce competitor. The only way out of this is negotiations is to have limits on their forces in exchange for limit on our forces. We have got to get busy with this because that's going to take a long time to work out. But arms control, not arms racing, is the only answer to this. Well, happy holidays, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I think, Joe, if you have a couple minutes to stick around, I'd love to, to, to ask you some of the less serious questions for our Patreon members. Um, and, sure. and I want to take you offline and ask you about cars and whiskey and different things, but I, I just want to maybe, maybe, uh, bring it back to center and say, um, I'm grateful for all that you do. You know, we talk in this show about staying vigilant. You're, you're on the watch and, and you've also been very kind and generous with me and many other leaders who've come up in the last couple of decades. You, you taught me, I've learned from you, uh, both by, you know, the information, but also through your example. I mean, you're out there, you know, keeping the, the, the heat on when so many folks are, are, are focused on other things. So it's a tremendous public service. Um, I think it's an issue that that all Americans should be care, should care about and does transcend politics. It might be one of those issues that we can actually unite around. But you've been an important leader and a real a conscience. Uh, you scare the shit out of people, but that's good because that, that reminds them of how serious and important these issues are. So I'm, I'm really grateful for your time and, and all of your insights. And I hope that you get a chance to have a Thanksgiving where if you talk about this, it's with people who want to talk about it <laughs> and not and not. Hey, Pat. Hey, pass the yams. Let's talk about ICBM. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you were very kind, Paul. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And yes, I'm going to North Northern California for Thanksgiving. We'll spend the time with my daughter way up there in Eureka, California, very far away from all of this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well thank you, Joe. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays and, and stay vigilant, my friend. Thank you, Paul. All right, everybody awake now? Yeah, skip passing the cranberry sauce or the coronavirus this Thanksgiving and share that conversation with Joe with the folks you love. It's much less controversial than debating the best form of stuffing or whether or not your relative's kids should get the vaccine. Because Joe's a true helper. So follow him on Twitter, check out his books, and look for him Thursday, November 18th at 10 p.m. on Vice TV with me, in episode five of While the Rest of Us Die. And if you're hearing this episode after that date, it's already up for free right now at vicetv.com. So pour yourself a good stiff drink and watch an episode of TV that you won't forget. And that's the point. And it's thanks to helpers like Joe. Always look for the helpers. 
there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Yeah, the helpers are out there, and we're going to keep bringing them to you, just like we do in every episode. And thanks to all of you for the tremendous support and love you showed after our last episode with another helper, Shad Meshad. We celebrated the life and legacy of our dear friend, Senator Max Cleland, and got a tremendous outpouring of support. And if you missed it, it was our Veterans Day special, and you can go back and check it out now wherever you got this pod or at independentamericans.us. And many of you reached out to me and asked, but no, I'm sorry, we do not yet have any details about a remembrance ceremony for Max Cleland. But when we do, we'll post them at independentamericans.us on social, and I'll share it with you here. And we'll keep the focus on what matters most. And this episode underscores that this show will keep a strong and unique focus on foreign policy, national security, and military affairs. It's like the radioactive core of this show. And if you're new here, welcome. And if you're new here, you should check out past episodes that have also been focused on global and national security with leaders like Admiral James Stravides, who was the former commander of the United States Southern Command and NATO Supreme Allied Commander for Europe. We also had Admiral Mike Mullen, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. We talked to General Barry McCaffrey, a four-star U.S. Army general. We talked to Susan Rice, former national security advisor. And we also talked to Wes Chatham, who plays Amos Burton in The Expanse, the amazing sci-fi TV series about the future where war in space is constant. Yes, we cover it from all angles here on Independent Americans. And you can find it on our website. And you can also find Independent Americans and all righteous shows on YouTube. And you can see video from this show and from all our shows. Of course, be sure to check us out on social media, follow Independent Americans and follow me, where I'm constantly focused on national security and sci-fi and lots of other stuff that sticks in my craw or sparks my interest. And it's where we guess the guest every Wednesday. Every Wednesday on my social media, I post a picture of our upcoming guest, but you can't see who it is and you have to guess. And last week, only one person, Rudolph Suriano, correctly guessed Shad Meshad as our guest. Well done, Rudolph. I think it's fitting that a guy named Rudolph wins as we get ready for Christmas. Thanks to all of you that played and have played every week on all our social media platforms. And shout out to our newest Patreon members, Jim Mikey, James Reed, and Jeffrey Brockman. The three J's are the newest members of our Patreon community. Welcome, gentlemen. And if you're not in that movement with the three J's, before the nukes go off, join our growing insurgent army of independents for exclusive access and events by becoming a member of the Independent Americans Patreon community. There's a couple of levels, and it gets you access to events, guests, merch discount, and exclusive content like my extended conversation with Joe Saracione and all of our extended conversations with recent guests. You can give it as a holiday gift or as a way to show thanks this Thanksgiving. If you love this show, join us and support us and you can also go to the apple podcast store and give us five stars some of you have done that and for that i am thankful and while you're there be sure to subscribe for free and share and know that this content is coming to you thanks to the powerful righteous media team they're small but mighty creative chris rosenthal brilliant bill schultz precise paula hernandez 
You know, I listen to some other podcasts where they have dozens of people working on the show. They have research assistants and graphic design people and music specialists. Basically got four of us that do this whole thing. And not just this show, but all of our shows. And I'm thankful to that core team that keeps it going. And of course, my deepest thanks to my amazing wife and my two boys. My six-year-old is getting the vaccine tomorrow. He's scared. But he's brave. He's also made me promise him that after he gets the shot, he can eat anything he wants. This is really exciting to him. So far, that list starts with cookies, then includes ice cream, then a Kit Kat, then Smurf gummies. And he might add more before he gets the shot tomorrow. And if he makes it that far through all those things, look for me to bring you this next episode covered in kid puke at an ER where we'll be pumping his stomach. But he's brave and he's stepping up. And I want to give him a massive shout out and my thanks to him and to everybody who's deploying the vaccine to kids across the country. So many brave kids, so many helpers, so many people inspiring us. And I want to encourage everybody to get the shot. If you haven't got it, go out and get it before Thanksgiving. Don't be an asshole. Be a part of the community. Look out for others. Do the right thing. Get the shot. And speaking of shots, Give Rob Sarah's podcast a shot. If you haven't already, check out the Firefighters podcast with Rob Sarah. Rob's continuing to bring a really great focus on firefighters and inspiring stories. New episodes drop every Friday anywhere you get this pod, or you can check it out at thefirefighters.us or go to righteous.us and spread the love and help us spread the righteous media five eyes. Especially if you're going to be traveling in the next couple of weeks, take Rob Sarah and the Firefighters podcast with you. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, America's more divided than ever. But at Independent Americans, we're trying to change that. We're going to keep adding light to contrast the heat, and we're going to keep bringing the righteous media five eyes. That ICBM barrage of content, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And if you're among the 40% of Americans that are independent, this is your show, Republican or Democrat. If you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. If you're a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. This is your bunker from all that craziness outside. All are welcome. And we invite you to join us in this bunker, and we invite you to be a part of the solution and the future after this nuclear holocaust that's been the last couple of years in politics. We're going to reemerge from that bunker after the storm because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And it's how we'll keep this movement of independent Americans growing week by week by week. And we will stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know that you're not alone. We're all vigilant. And we're all in this together. And there's no issue that reveals it more than the threat of nuclear weapons. From the Ukrainian troops facing down the Russian troops on the border right now, to the astronauts in the International Space Station dodging 1,500 pieces of space debris, to De La Soul, to the band Europe, to REM, to all those kids bravely getting the vaccine right now, to Joseph Saracione, to you. All across this country and all across this world, we're all in this together, especially 
when it comes to facing down the threat of nukes. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.